Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear." But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding 
and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was Your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. We want to focus our thoughts tonight on the last few verses of this chapter, Matthew 11. We are going to be looking especially at verses 28 to 30. Well, we're just at the end of another beautiful Michigan summer. Our schools and colleges are are back up and running. We're a couple of weeks into the fall semester, and parents and teachers are hearing the usual complaints. The work is too hard. The load is too heavy. The homework is too much. The standards are too high. I'm so tired. I'm just, I'm worn out and stressed already. Well, when Jesus looked out in His audience in this chapter, He saw people very like that. He saw people who were worn out and weighed down, people who were exhausted and crushed, people who felt complete failures and deeply frustrated. These people were enrolled in the school called Do More and Do Better. Maybe words that parents and teachers often say to complaining students, do more and do better. Yes, that's what this audience was enrolled in, the school of do more and do better, the school of false religion, the school of works religion, the school that said, work harder, work more, and you will get to heaven. No matter how tired, no matter how crushed, no matter how frustrated, no matter how much of a failure you feel, just do more, do better. A terrible message to hear in such a condition. And yet, maybe that's the school you're enrolled in tonight, not just in your normal high school or college, but spiritually, you're, en- you're enrolled in the school of do more, do better. You feel your failings, you feel your weakness, you feel you're not reaching the standards, and your natural instinct is to double down on what's been working before, the very well, what you were trying before, but not working before, the very definition, really, of insanity. 
and to all those who are enrolled in the Do More, Do Better school, Jesus has such a welcome message, a message the people of Christ's day needed to hear, and a message you and I need to hear not just once, but again and again and again. Instead of do more and do better, He said, rest more and rest better. Come to me, as he puts it here in verse 28, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As we'll see, this is a school, the school of Christ, which he opens for enrollment every time the gospel is preached. And in this passage, he gives us five reasons why we should enroll in Christ's school. I want to give you these five reasons, the first two briefly, because they're really from the, the context of the chapter, and then the reasons three and five in more detail because they're found in verses 28 to 30. The first reason I would give you to enroll in Christ's school is this, because Christ is the most patient teacher. You try and think of the teachers that you really appreciated. They were patient teachers. They were long-suffering. They were slow to anger. They didn't come down on you like a ton of bricks every time you made a mistake. No, they were patient. And that's what we find here in this whole chapter. It's a, a demonstration of the patience of Christ. In the, in the early verses, verses 1 through 6, we see Christ's patience with John the Baptist. John had been such a strong believer, and yet whose faith seemed to falter a bit here as he sends disciples from his prison cell. He sends disciples to ask, are you really the Christ? Imagine the very man who said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very man who said, Christ must increase and I must decrease. The very man who pointed away from himself to Jesus, and here in one of the lowest points of his life, his faith fails, doubts enter, and he needs help. Jesus doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't like go, John, like, not you too. No, he, he sends back Bible verses from Isaiah with John's disciples and says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. How patient he was with John. But then we see his patience also with the crowd he was preaching to in verses 7 through 15. He, he talks to the crowd about John, and he says, you know, what did you go out to see? And he gives them a number of options, and he's leading them to the truth about John. And then he says, and yet, how did you treat John? Well, this is what you said about John when he was uh, preaching. He, you, you, you said, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance, verse 17. We sang a dirge, and, and you did not mourn. 
So John couldn't satisfy this crowd. He couldn't please them. And yet, when Jesus came and he wasn't the same as John, indeed, he was eating, he was drinking, he was mixing much more socially, they said, a drunkard, a sinner, unclean. How fickle this crowd were, how changeable, how unpredictable, how unsteady, and yet he's still preaching to them, he's still pleading with them, he's still trying to draw them in, this fickle, unpredictable, changeable, unsteady, inconsistent crowd. But he's still calling them, and he's still teaching them. You see his patience, his patience with John the Baptist, his patience with the crowd, leading us up to verses 20 to 24, where we see his patience with very wicked cities. He speaks of Chorazin and Bethsaida, Tyre and Sidon, Capernaum. And from his words, it's clear that he'd been preaching to them for a long, long time and doing many, many miracles, and yet still they had not repented. And here, at the end of these three years of ministry, only then does he pronounce woes and curses upon them. But he gave them three long years of his constant attention, his most patient and clear teaching, showing them amazing miracles, rejection after rejection after rejection, and still he kept coming back to them. I'm sure everyone here feels at times, surely I've pushed, I've pushed the Lord too far this time. I've, I've, I've exhausted His patience. And yet here, this chapter comes to us and says, no, no, no. He is the most patient teacher you will ever find anywhere in the world. He has not given up on you. So don't give up on Him. May His patience indeed, His long-suffering lead you and draw you to Him in repentance and faith. He's the most patient teacher. You might say, well, well, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm so glad this Christ is, is so patient. Yeah. But, but what does He know? Like, you, you might have a really lovely teacher, so patient, long-suffering, but not actually know an awful lot. Give you good feelings, but won't give you very much knowledge. What does he actually know? What's his education? What's his background? What are his credentials? And that's what is brought before us here in verses 25 to 27, because Jesus tells us he is the most gifted teacher, not just the most patient, but the most gifted and he shows us that in three ways. He says here, I know the Father. You see that, for example, in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He's got a beautiful, close, intimate connection with God. 
He has the mind of God. He enters into communion with God. This is His own Father from all eternity. He knows God, therefore is a reliable teacher. And not only that, we're told here, He receives from God. In verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. What more do we need? He says, everything the Father has, He's given to me. All things. He hasn't held anything back. Anything the Father knows, therefore I know. You talk about an education. You talk about a good background, a good teacher. And then he goes further and he says, He reveals the Father. In verse 27, he goes on to say, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know the Father, I have everything from the Father, and I can show you the Father. And in effect, He's saying, I know everything you need to know. Anything you need to know, you come to me, and I'll reveal it to you. Come as a little child needing to be taught, not as somebody really wise and clever. God hides things from these people, but unveils, reveals things to babes, to infants in spirit. Here we're told Christ is the most gifted teacher. He knows all we need to know. Second reason for enrolling in Christ's school. But now we come to the verses we want to zoom in on a bit and, and look at in more detail. And we're told here, thirdly, Christ is the most welcoming teacher. Because you might say, well, okay, it's great He's so patient, and, and it's great that He knows so much. I mean, I mean He sounds like a genius. He sounds like a know-it-all. He sounds like he's got this massive brain, this incredible capacity, extraordinary knowledge. What chance is it that he would take me on as a student? You know, you, you open a college prospectus or catalog, and, and you'll find entrance qualifications. And maybe many of you remember going with great hope to a catalog or a college prospectus, a school you really want to go to, and you open it up, and you, you flick to the pages where the entrance requirements are put, and you just, oh, your heart sinks. You just know this isn't going to happen. You close the book. You put it away. Dreams and hopes are dashed. It's like the school slammed the door in your face, even from a distance. It said, don't even think about this. But what about Christ? What are His entrance qualifications? They're here for us in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's, that's the line in Christ's catalog for entrance to Christ's school. 
Are you worn out and weighed down? It's unusual. But it raises our hopes. It doesn't dash them. It's not looking for massive brains, great genius, a great track record. It just says, are you tired with yourself, with your sin? Are you weighed down with guilt? With, with just the frustration of trying to live an, a life that pleases God and always failing, come on in. Welcome. And it's interesting, the whole passage here is, is really, it revolves around the illustration of a yoke, not, not, a, an, not something we're terribly familiar with in cities, um, or even just in modern civilization. This was for the children here, when the farmers wanted to plow, they would get their ox or their cows or their horses, and they would, they would design this wooden board that was shaped, very tailored to the shape of their ox or their cow or their horse, whatever they plowed with. And it, it was really a very efficient way of plowing in these days. It was like your John Deere of the day. It was really a way of plowing with minimal stress on the animal. If it was well designed, it was made of good material, and it was well balanced, that, that animal could go on all day, day after day after day. It was really quite high technology for, for the time. And um, it was done, the work was done speedily, the animal didn't suffer too much, and the farmer prospered. But in the Bible, yoke is usually used in a very negative way. It's used, for example, in the Old Testament of foreign nations oppressing Israel, like they put a yoke of oppression on Israel. You see that in, say, for example, Isaiah 45. In the New Testament, it's used of man-made laws as a way of salvation. You see that in Acts 15.10. Galatians 5.1. And, and what, what Jesus is doing here when He's saying, come to me and rest, is He's looking out and He's seeing the people of His day under this awful yoke. This was not the best yoke in the world. It was the worst yoke in the world. He looked out and He, and he saw them laboring, crushed and worn out by trying to get to heaven by keeping the law trying to get to heaven by being good, trying to get to heaven by giving money to the temple and the synagogue, trying to get to heaven by pleasing religious leaders, trying to get to heaven with their own labor, their own work, do more, do better. And, and it was crushing. It was absolutely annihilating the people that he looked out on. And, and Although we're 2,000 years later, many of us are still trying to do the same thing. No, there's no one here with a physical yoke on their back, but if Christ was here and looking out, He would say, there's one, and there's one, and there's one, and there's two, and there's another. You go, what do you mean? Yes, you're under this burden. You've placed yourself under a burden, a yoke, a heavy if you're full of friction and pain 
and suffering and sorrow because you're trying to get to heaven by doing more and doing better. You're trying to get to heaven by men-pleasing and man-pleasing. You're trying to get to heaven by being religious and being good. And he says, it's an awful life, an awful life. Many of us can remember it. You never felt that you reached. You never felt that you reached high enough. All was falling short. All was frustrated. All was failing. Jesus looks out and He sees with agony in His own heart, the agony that many were living under. And He says, come to Me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. I'll take this yoke off your shoulder. I'll smash it in pieces. I'll I'll obliterate it to smithereens. I'll grind it to dust and powder so that you, you, you won't take this up again, so that you'll give it up entirely and forever. This do more, do better school, forget it. You'll never graduate. No one ever has. But the school of rest, the school of Christ, No one's ever failed there. Everyone who enrolls in this school graduates. And you look at this beautiful invitation, it was so different to the words that the people of the day were hearing. The Pharisees, what was their big word? Do. The scribes, what was their big word? Learn. The Romans, political leaders of the age. What was their big word? It was submit. The philosophers, what were their big words? Well, the Stoics said endure, and the Epicureans said enjoy. Endure life, enjoy life. These were the big words of the day. And Jesus says, let's just get rid of them all. No more doing, no more learning, no more submitting, no more enduring, no more enjoying. Let's focus on this come, come. Let that be the word that echoes in your soul. That's the Christ word, not do, not learn, not submit, not endure, and not enjoy. The first word you must hear from Christ is come, come. You know, we, we sing that song at Christmas time, O come, all ye faithful. I don't know. I, I think that should be rewritten. To come, all ye failures. Because that's the gospel call. It's not come of your faithful. It's come of you failed. It's not come if you're successful. It's come if you're down and out. And and you look at each of these words, I, who is the I there? Christ Himself will. There's no maybe. I might give you rest. I give rest to most. No, I will. It's a solemn, divine promise. I will give. You don't earn this. 
It's a gift. You, very personal. Who can exclude themselves from you here? Who can say, no, no, that's not for me? Are you a you? It's for you. Rest. That massive gospel word. What does it mean? You look up a dictionary, it'll tell you no movement. It'll tell you calm, quiet, safe, secure. Not all these words help. They give us some sense of the stillness of this. It's like there's not a hint of movement or action. That's the kind of rest. He says, stop. Still. Don't move a muscle. You know, you, you go in to see your little child maybe in the nursery. They've just been so full of action and noise all through the day. You go in, you put them to bed five minutes later, nothing. They're just, and sometimes you think, are they dead? They're so still. There's not a movement. They're hardly breathing, it seems. And, and really, that's the best illustration of the kind of rest here. It, it's baby rest. It's, it's don't even move a pinky. Don't contribute anything to this salvation. I will give you rest. Can you not bask in that? Can you not enjoy that? Does that not sound very welcoming to you? He is the most welcoming teacher in the world. You say, well, that, that sounds a school I can get into. Weary and heavy laden, that's me. Exhausted and crushed, that's me. Failure, yep, that's me. And, and this first day of school, this school sounds fantastic. Like, I just go there and I do nothing. Yep, that's right. But then you might ask, well, okay, what's he actually like as a teacher? I come to this school. He's so welcoming. Come on in. Weary, heavy laden. Come on in. But what's he actually like when you get in? Well, that's, this is how he describes himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He is the most humble teacher. That's your fourth reason to enroll. Gentle and lowly in heart. Again, you, you open a catalog for seminaries or colleges or schools, universities, and there's usually the faculty there, and usually a bio of each of the faculty, and, and it will they're written in such a way to attract students. You know, look at this teacher. Look at the school he studied in. Look at all these letters after his name. And look at all the books he's written and all the articles and all the conferences he's spoken at. Wow, wouldn't this be an amazing teacher to have? That's, that's how we think. That's how the world thinks. That's not how Jesus thinks. You want to go to his, his bio? What's there? There's just this little sentence. I am meek, gentle, and lowly in heart. 
Stunning, isn't it? What a contrast. At most faculty, it's like, lift myself up. How can I make myself higher? And he says, I'm coming right down there. And he says, take my yoke on you. He says, come and learn of me. Why? Because. Because. He's not, he's not looking at his humility, his gentleness, his lowliness, and, and hiding it. No, this is, this is like his main selling point for sinners. I, I'm gentle and, and lowly in heart. This is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus' heart is mentioned. And, and notice how He wants you to think of His heart, like His core, what defines Him. Gentleness, lowliness. And, and again, this, this does fit. I mean, if you think of of the teachers you couldn't learn under, or that terrified you so much you couldn't learn under, what were they like? They were, they were high and haughty. They were, they were all out for themselves, trying to make themselves look good. They, they'd maybe mock students, be sarcastic about them even. Um, they'd, be, they'd be very intimidating and threatening, and that's an awful atmosphere to learn in. I remember the, the, the teacher I had in first grade, uh, the first day of school, um, I, and it's, it's burned into my mind that the teacher picked up a, a little boy, same age as myself, by his hair, about a foot off the ground. I'll never, I'll never forget it. I couldn't learn a thing in that class. It was like terrifying. Uh, how how opposite is Christ? I'm gentle. I'm gentle. And, and I'm lowly in heart. You know what that word actually means? It, literally, it's close to the ground. I'm close to the ground. Because that's where we are, isn't it? It's not, I'm way up here, jump. It says, you're way down there. I'm coming down. And that's what he did, isn't it? All through his life and, and still does. He says, I'm near the ground. I'm approachable. I'm, I'm one of you, as it were. Come, come, learn. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take it up. Don't wait. Come and take it. Come and, and, and say to this teacher, please teach me. Please, please accept me as one of your students. Please enroll me in your school. That, that's, that's music to his ear and his heart. So you might say, well, this is amazing. This is, what, a, what, a, what a, sounds like a great teacher. But what does he actually teach? Okay, he says, come because of my character. I'm, I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm lowly, but what's the content of his course? Again, you go to college prospectuses, catalogs, and, and they tell you the curriculum. Here's the subjects, here's what you'll learn. And, and it's, it's interesting, you, some of you might be here going, um, I thought he said, I'll take the yoke off you, come to me and rest. But Jesus here is saying, Take my yoke upon you. What? I thought he wanted to take off our yoke. 
And now he says, come and I'll give you rest. And he says, here's a yoke for you. That sounds like bait and switch to me. That sounds like he, he got you in under false pretenses, does it not? I come for rest and he puts a yoke on me. That sounds like work. That sounds like hard. That sounds like pain. That sounds like I've just swapped one stress for another. But if you look at his words, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. That's after taking the yoke as well. Come to me and rest, put a yoke on you, and you'll still enjoy rest. Rest, yoke, rest. The rest doesn't leave when he puts the yoke on. Indeed, he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So, yes, there's a yoke, but it's a very different yoke to the one he laid on you before. It's a very different system. It's a very different school. That's what the yoke stands for here, school, education, learning, a, a system. And I suppose we ask, well, well how, how can a yoke be light and easy. How can he say, take my yoke, and you will find rest, deep, existential, ultimate rest, rest in the deepest part of your being? How can that be? What kind of yoke is this? This is an unusual yoke. Even the best designed yoke eventually would tire out an animal. What kind of yoke is this? that is easy, light, and is restful. Well, I think it's, it's made up of a number of elements, and the first one is the, the rest of salvation. You, you never leave that. It's not like you, you come and you're still, you don't, you say to the Lord, okay, I, I add nothing, I give nothing, I do nothing. I just like, you have everything, you do everything, you give everything, you get the rest, and then you're up and doing again. No, 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 no. That's what the Galatians did. And, and, and Paul said, brothers and sisters, what are you doing? You know, you, you were made perfect by resting. Do you think you're going to improve by working? He says, you're taking, you're taking on a, the yoke of bondage again, Galatians 5, verse 1. In other words, the classroom with rest over it, you never leave that. that that's, that's kindergarten and PhD in Christ's school and, and every grade in between. You never leave rest. You never stop resting. Jesus, I am resting, 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 resting. That never stops. But we stop resting. He doesn't stop giving rest, but we stop receiving it. And here Jesus is calling you, if you've never rested before, come and rest now in my salvation. He says, look at my cross theirs do more and do better, because I've done it all. You don't need to do anything, because I've done everything. 
And I've done it perfectly. So rest now and forever in that. Never begin to think that you can add anything to this. Great work. He took a yoke of bondage. He took a yoke of pain. He took the worst, the heaviest, the most agonizing yoke there was ever to bear that dug deep into his soul and heart so that you and I could wear a yoke that would give us rest, the rest of salvation. And, and it's, it's, it's also the suitability of this yoke. He's designed His laws uh, to suit human nature in its best state. He's, he's designed the Christian life to, to suit who we are. Individually, it's, everyone has a slightly different yoke. At the core, it's rest, but he knows exactly how to tailor it, how to shape it, how to fit it for you and your life and your needs, what he's doing with you. It's suitable to you. It fits. He, he's, he's got our ultimate comfort in mind. And, and I know the Christian life can be hard. Of course it can. It can be tough. It can be weary. But at the core of it is a deep rest and ultimately eternal rest. Because that's, that's the ultimate rest he's speaking of here. The rest of heaven. And he's, he's basically saying, Whatever the difficulties come your way in this life, I've tailored them for you to make your way perfect for you. And ultimately, when you look back from heaven, even at the most difficult time on your life, from the perspective of heaven, it will still look easy and light. Because with your other eye, you're looking at hell. And he's designed a yoke to get you to heaven and away from hell. And so in heaven, and you look back, the times you were in pain and suffering and sorrowing, you'll say, oh, man, compared to what it could have been, where I should be, where I was going, that's easy. And that's light. And he gives you strength. It's interesting. He, he calls it still my yoke. It's like he, he says, look, I've worn this and I've rubbed it smooth and soft. And it's still mine. It's like a double yoke. He says, I don't send you away on your own. I'll walk with you. I'll share the yoke. I'll bear the burden. I, I'll carry this when you can't. I'm not leaving you. You never end up with just an individual yoke. And, and it causes to submission. I don't think any yoke would be comfortable if we fight against it, if we resist it. I think submission comes into this as well. That meekness and gentleness, again, is, is, is at the core of this. Meekly, humbly submitting to what He has designed for us. Compare your yoke. 
you look at this one, and you look at the one you're wearing, the one you're carrying, the one that's crushing you, killing you, destroying you, the yoke of sin, the yoke of addiction, the yoke of lust, the yoke of works religion, the, the yoke of relying on your tradition. And you compare that to this, there's no comparison. Why, why don't you come to Christ tonight and say, Lord Jesus, you're the most patient teacher. You're the most gifted teacher. You're the most welcoming teacher. You're, you're the most humble teacher. You're the most loving teacher. And I, I want to enroll in your school. I can't get this yoke off my back alone, though. Would you lift it off me? Would you take off this burden, this crushing, wearying weight and, and just burn it to ashes and instead put on me your yoke? I want to learn. I want to enroll. I want to be your student. I want to be your disciple now and, and for the rest of my life. Enroll in Christ's school. It's open. It's open for enrollment. There's no better school. There's no better teacher. There are no better subjects. He teaches you history, the history of redemption. He teaches you music, the music of praise. He teaches you language, the language of prayer. He teaches you math, the counting of His uncountable blessings as we confess our uncountable sins. He teaches you about psychology or the spirituality of the Christian life, communion with God, fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What a school. What a teacher. Enroll in it. He's calling you. Come. 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 You go to a chapter like Isaiah 55, the Old Testament version really of this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Four times, come, 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 come. And just in case you think, ah, that was a one-off. What's, what's just about the last words Jesus speaks to us in the Bible? It's in Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let, let that word echo in your ears, resound in your heart, draw you to Him for the rest that is so refreshing and so enjoyable and so unforgettable. Come for the first time. Come for the umpteenth time. But come. Come now. Come urgently. Come in prayer. Come in faith. Come humbly. Come as a beggar. Come and say, Lord Jesus, I come. Amen. Let's pray. Our wonderful, glorious Lord and Savior and Teacher, you are unparalleled and unprecedented and unbeatable. 
Help us to hear this incredible call. Speak, Lord, into hearts so that hearts even now are coming, approaching you. Welcome them. Receive them, we pray, and give them instant and forever rest. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing, finally, a wonderful song, How Vast the Benefits Divine.